According to ReligionNews.com, yet another Jehovah's Witness in Russia has been sentenced to jail time. This time it was a six-year sentence. Dude's already 66 years old. His name is Yuri Savalyev. He's already been in pre-trial detention for two years before he was sentenced on December 16th. I guess they don't have the same rules about speedy trials in Russia. Although for the record, that happens in the US too. But here, that time usually applies to the sentence and is considered time served. Anyways, in my opinion, this is bad news for a number of reasons. First, the case has drawn a ton of attention from human rights organizations, the United Nations, and a bunch of other groups. They're condemning Russia for their mistreatment of a pacifist group, although still extremist. That means Jehovah's Witnesses are viewed with more sympathy than they deserve. Second, you shouldn't be jailed for your religious beliefs. It's a fundamental human right. It borders on thought crime. It's draconian, and it's wrong. Technically, in this case, it's not a thought crime, because Russia says you're free to believe what you want. But you can't congregate with like-minded people, and Jehovah's Witnesses' propaganda is considered contraband. You'll be jailed for owning it. But what's happening right now goes directly against the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Yes, Jehovah's Witnesses are a toxic, harmful cult, but they have an ends-justify-the-means mentality. How can we possibly use the same mindset to battle them and have a clear conscience? Either we're okay with violating human rights or we aren't. If we aren't okay with that, then we have no place to ban them. If we are, then we shouldn't have a problem with the organization in the first place. The Ark Encounter's been having a hard time lately. They've had a hard time all year. Mid-February is when things really started to hit. The stock market suddenly tanked on February 23rd. So March is the first month you really start to see a dramatic drop in Ark Encounter attendance. It was completely closed all month in April 2020. Usually places like that see about a 5-10% to 10 growth year over year, give or take. So compared to 2019, in January 2020, the Ark Encounter saw a 6% attendance increase. February saw a 5% attendance increase. Then in March, shit started to go sideways. March 2019 had 70,000 people in attendance. March 2020 only saw 15,000 people. Holy shit, that's bad. That trend carried for the rest of the year. Every single month was a decrease from the previous year. This brings up an interesting point. I released a clip recently of Pastor Greg Farrington giving a sermon about church closures during the pandemic. He said, quote, Here are some current trends in the church world today. 30 to 40% of the people who attended church before COVID will never return turn to church. 20% of all churches in America will never open their doors again. And 70% of pastors are looking for another place of employment. End quote. Then he went on to say that it was a demonic strategy and Satan was using liberal crazies to execute the plan. And who knows if those numbers are even correct. He could have completely fabricated them. But that's beside the point. The point is that the pandemic is affecting church attendance. Jehovah's Witnesses have surprisingly done things correctly since the beginning. They switched to Zoom, got their members to write letters and instead of knock on doors. They tell people to wear masks, the whole nine yards. They even sent some of their live-in factory workers home to their families. Very respectable. But guess what? They saw a 0.6% number decrease this year. That's a big fucking deal. One of the only years when they saw an actual decrease in decades. On top of that, the measurement is active Jehovah's Witnesses, and they change the criteria to be, if you log 15 minutes of time per month talking about Jesus, then you're counted. It used to be way higher than that. If you write a single letter per month to some rando you find in the phone book, you're considered active and you're counted. It's really difficult to not be counted at this point. And they still saw a drop of 0.6%. I can't imagine they're happy about that. Demonic strategy or not, it's working. People are leaving the church because the brainwashing has been unplugged. That's good news.
Pastor Rick Scarborough is getting his petticoat in a puff, if you will, over Santa. He went on a three-minute tirade about how Santa is evil and we shouldn't be teaching our kids to believe in him. His reasons were absolutely fascinating. The first reason he cited is because if you flip the letters around in the name Santa, then you come up with Satan. The names sound similar. Amazing. Absolutely love the logic here. In fact, that's one of the reasons I was given for not celebrating Christmas when I was little too. The second reason he cites is because Santa is analogous to God. He's all-knowing, all-seeing, and all-powerful. When kids realize Santa isn't real, they're going to apply the critical thinking skills to God. It requires the same amount of faith for each. Again, absolutely love the logic. My daughter actually came to the same conclusion when she was little. She said, Santa isn't real, is he? I said, no. Now, who else do you think might not be real? She said, the tooth fairy? I said, right, keep going, who else? She listed a few others and finally arrived at God. Now, I'm not interested in pushing my ideas on her, but I wanted her to apply those critical thinking skills to everything she's taught, everything. And it seems to have worked for the most part. The third reason this guy cited for not teaching kids about Santa is because it teaches a works-based worldview. In my opinion, this is one of the most fascinating reasons he cited. The rest were all given to me as a young Jehovah's Witness, but this one comes with a lot of really interesting implications. He says that believing that Santa watches all the kids to see which are naughty and which are nice is a bad thing because the Bible's worldview is not works-based, it's faith-based. If you believe, you have your place in heaven. But there are a few problems with this. First, the Bible has multiple verses that contradict each other. Is it faith-based? Or is faith without works dead? I guess it depends on which verse you choose to believe. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that faith without works is dead, and they use that to justify pushing people to knock on doors, or they'll lose their chance to make it through Armageddon. And the second interesting implication here is that this guy ostensibly isn't a capitalist either, right? That's what capitalism is all about, a merit-based system. The harder you work, the more you're rewarded. Of course, it never works out that way, but that's what it's supposed to be. In this guy's worldview, he should be more interested in communism than capitalism capitalism, right? People like this don't process what they believe and apply it to other parts of their lives. They don't realize how completely contradictory their beliefs are to each other. They don't realize the insane level of hypocrisy that comes with believing the things they believe, and it's embarrassing. Pat Robertson has been an emotional roller coaster over the election. Watching him maintain complete composure, then disintegrate into an emotional train wreck, and then regain composure, and then go completely nuts again, has been very entertaining. I'd feel bad for him if he weren't such a fucking monster. Anyways, after the election, he spent like five straight minutes talking about how Trump won, and everything was rigged, and Biden cheated, and all of that other nonsense. And then, out of nowhere, he released this video recently. He said, quote, I think it's all over. I think the Electoral College has spoken. I think the Biden corruption has not really been brought to fruition, but it doesn't seem to be affecting the Electoral College, and I don't think the Supreme Court is going to move in to do anything. And I think we're going to see a President Biden. With all his talent and the ability to raise money and draw large crowds, the President still lives in an alternate reality. People say, well, he lies about this, that, and the other. But no, he isn't lying. To him, that's the truth. He had the biggest crowd on Inauguration Day. He had more people than ever. He was the most popular. He saved NBC with The Apprentice. You go down the line of things that really aren't true, and you know, people kept pointing to him, but because they loved him so much and he was so strong for the evangelicals, the evangelicals were there for him all the way. But there was something about him that was good, that God placed him in that office. He's done a marvelous job for the economy, but at the same time, he's very erratic, and he's fired people, and he's fought people, and he's insulted people, and keeps going down the line, so it's a mixed bag. And I think it would be well to say, you've had your day, and it's time to move on. And 
end quote. Absolutely fascinating. Pat Robertson is turning on Trump. If nothing else, you can say that Pat Robertson has a mind of his own. Or I guess more accurately, his mind doesn't belong to Trump. He's still a cult leader, and typically cult leaders tend to be at least previously victims themselves. But this is a good sign. Pat Robertson is a big thought leader in the evangelical movement. He's burned a few bridges by saying people who believe in young earth creationism are idiots. But he still has a lot of pull in that community. The fact that he's turned on Trump is good for the country and more broadly for the world. I'm hoping this transition will go as smoothly as possible. You guys remember Pastor John MacArthur, right? He's the dude who refused to acknowledge that there was a pandemic going on. He was in a court battle with his local government. He didn't want to take the most basic safety precautions, like taking people's temperatures at the door, keeping hand sanitizer nearby, and wearing masks. So he didn't do any of them. Then he played it up like it was some fucking absurd persecution narrative. Like the state of California was trying to put people in prison for believing in God. Well, guess what? His congregation has more COVID cases now. And, and... He tried to cover it up. He isn't ashamed of something, is he? It was a pretty big congregation in the first place. Thousands. It's considered a megachurch. He refused to play it safe in even the most straightforward and basic ways, and as a result, he's responsible for people's deaths. And he knows it. Here's a quote from Medium.com. Quote, Two weeks ago, the Grace Staff Christmas party lunch was served, and maskless elderly and elders sat shoulder to shoulder, hugged and shook hands, and along with the filet mignon, were spoon-fed the following from John MacArthur. One, COVID PCR tests are inaccurate and should not be trusted. End quote. FYI, PCR tests stand for polymerase chain reaction test. It's a type of test that's used for the coronavirus. It detects copies of a specific DNA sample. As for the efficacy, it works a lot like a pregnancy test. It isn't guaranteed to detect the enzyme it's searching for in the case of pregnancy tests, or the DNA in the case of the coronavirus test, but if it detects it, it's 100% guaranteed to be there. There are false negatives, there are not false positives. He was trying to imply that it's completely untrustworthy and there might be false positives. It's just propaganda. Anyways, he said, quote, one, COVID PCR tests are inaccurate and should not be trusted. Again, not true. If it shows positive, you're positive, period. Two, don't take the vaccine as it's just a money ploy. Three, Grace is welcoming 400 new members. Four, the giving is the best it's ever been. And five, there are no long-term side effects to COVID. End quote. Wow, dude. Well, I would say death is a pretty serious long-term side effect. Aside from that, there are actually lots of long-term side effects. Sometimes people lose their sense of taste and smell. That might not seem that bad, but believe me, it is. Imagine never being able to appreciate food again for the rest of your life. Not to mention the fact that some people have a persistent cough that never goes away. They still have it, even after having been recovered from the disease for eight months. The singer from one of my favorite bands of all time, Maynard James Keenan from Tool, has the persistent cough still, and he got it back in February. And number four makes it pretty clear what his whole hang-up is. Just like Trump, he wanted to downplay it because he was watching his stock holdings, or in MacArthur's case, his offerings, plummet through the fucking floor. Turns out there is something more important than human life. Money. Fucking disgusting. And as for number two, why would he discourage people from getting the vaccine? Is it just to save face so people don't catch on and suspect that he really knows how serious it is? This piece of shit blows my mind. But we can't forget their names. We can't forget who they are. After this is all over, they're gonna go back to life as usual as if nothing happened in 2020. But I'm not going to forget. I'm gonna make sure this follows them through their careers for the rest of their lives. Coming up next, we're gonna listen to some voicemails. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media. Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. 
Don't forget, if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hello, Owen. I'm Ian Vernon Lewis from Kent County, Delaware, not too far from West Virginia. I want to say that I support you and your secularist crusade against religious fundamentalism. And I just want to ask you two questions. Number one, what do you think of the war on drugs? And number two, what do you think of the religious organizations that support the war on drugs? Thank you and good luck. I appreciate the phone call. Um, Obviously, the war on drugs is an important issue to me personally because, as I've said before, I've dealt with addiction. I was addicted to hard drugs for years, for a couple of years after leaving Jehovah's Witnesses. That led me to decide to go to school for substance abuse counseling after finally getting clean. And when we were in substance abuse counseling, we talked about the philosophy behind the war on drugs. Now, what are our goals? What are my goals versus the U.S. government goals? Our shared goal is to stop people from using drugs, if possible, right? Has the war on drugs done that? Has it lowered drug use? The answer is no. So we have to find another way to do this. There must be another more productive way. When I was in school, we talked about more productive ways to do this. The war on drugs, the idea behind it, is to take out the suppliers so that the demand market has nowhere to turn. In reality, that creates a power vacuum. Somebody is going to move in to fill that spot. We saw this happen with the war in Iraq. When Saddam Hussein was taken out, there was a power vacuum, and it was filled with ISIS. That's how it works. That's how power vacuums work. They are filled with replacement people, always. That is why the war on drugs doesn't work. Instead of trying to remove people from the supply chain, thus creating power vacuums, the goal should be to take the wind out of the sails of the supply. Make it so it's not worth it anymore for anybody to step in and do this. That way, when there is a power vacuum, nobody will be interested in filling it. That is how you prevent or lower drug use, and we have evidence of this being successful in other countries who have implemented these plans. One failure of the the war on drugs in the U.S. was when the U.S. tried to stop overprescribing OxyContin. Now, obviously, that's a good idea. You shouldn't be overprescribing OxyContin, clearly, right? Because it's an easily abused drug. That's common sense, and that's the correct move. But when they stopped overprescribing it, people like me turned to heroin use. When it was no longer available, we went to another source. The solution to this problem is creating a a safe environment where people can use the drugs and maybe even supplying the drugs to them if they meet certain criteria, like if they've been an addict for this amount of time and things like that. You don't want just anybody walking in off the street and taking drugs 
But if you supplied the drugs or made them available safely in a safe, clean environment, it would take the wind right out of the sails of the suppliers and they would just go away. Now, you're going to have addicts that continue to come to these exchanges, kind of like a needle exchange, and continue to use the drugs. But you're not going to have new users coming in to use the drugs. Or you can set up blocks to prevent that from happening, for example. Another aspect to this is the prevention and education aspect. Now, you'd think that going into elementary and middle and high schools and talking about how bad drug use is and all that stuff, you would think that that works, right? That's the education arm of this plan. But interestingly enough, Nancy Reagan's D.A.R.E. program, where they went into schools and showed them pictures of meth addicts and stuff like that, that didn't work. It actually increased drug use. It increased drug use. So we need to take a hard look at the psychology and base this in science because some first lady walking in and and thinking she knows what she's doing is going to end in disaster. We need to look at the psychology and talk to the scientists about the most productive way to educate kids on drug use so that it doesn't raise the chances of them using drugs like the D.A.R.E. program did. Those are my ideas. Those are some of my ideas on how we replace the war on drugs with something that actually eliminates drug use, or at least lowers it. Like I said, we can look at other countries and figure out what's worked for them. And historically, decriminalizing drug use and creating exchanges and safe places for addicts to use those drugs, that tends to lower drug use dramatically. And also, make weed legal. Why are we doing this? This is absurd. It is a goddamn shame to know that there are people in prison right now who've been in there for decades, literal decades of their lives, gone for possession of marijuana. That's, that's fucking insane. Hey, uh, Telltale. My name is uh, Sky. I'm currently living in Kentucky. Um, got a bit of an unusual question for you. Um, I'm actually a practicing witch, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on that idea. Um, I, I do consider myself still to be an atheist or agnostic, but I do still practice witchcraft. And I was just wondering what you thought about that. Very interesting. I appreciate the phone call. Um, I have a few questions for you. First of all, do you actually believe that there's, like, magic taking place here? When I was a kid, my dad was practicing black magic, supposedly, and my mom just believed that Satan had been in our lives ever since because of what he did. She made all kinds of claims about him creating a Jacob's Ladder between his arms and all kinds of ridiculous nonsense, in my opinion. And he also believed that Satan was in our lives because he had sleep paralysis one night and Satan's face appeared in front of him and was laughing at him and he couldn't move and all this stuff. Of course, he didn't recognize it as sleep paralysis. He thought Satan really was in the room with him. Um... But you said you're atheist, so that kind of blows my mind. Maybe I'm not really understanding, like, the context or the belief system behind it or, or whatever else. Ultimately, it comes down to this for me. 
I have no issue with anybody believing whatever they want to believe. That's 100% fine with me. I have no problems with, with that or with you. It is slightly baffling to me how you can hold seemingly contradictory ideas simultaneously. Maybe I just don't understand what your belief system is. I don't know, but I don't have any problems with anybody. I don't hate anybody for anything, so you're fine in my book. You're just a little bit, your belief system's just a little bit confusing to me. That's all. Hey, um, so this is honestly my first time calling you. I'm a bit nervous, but um, I just found this really interesting. So my name is Jordis. I live in Alabama, um, South Alabama, and I know we have some Jehovah's Witness neighbors, um, but we have never gotten like a letter from them in the mail, and these are not my neighbors that we got this letter from, but now they're sending letters. I don't know if that's a normal thing. Um, basically, it was just – it basically just said that um, – we needed to come to Kingdom Hall, come to a meeting, um, and had a Bible verse, and it said, this is our website, it was jw.org. Um, I don't know if that's new, but I figured it would be interesting if it wasn't, because I know they have been uh, buckling down a little bit lately. So, yeah, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Um, love your channel. Bye. Appreciate that phone call. Very interesting. Yeah, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have actually started a campaign, a new campaign, quote-unquote where they're trying to bring in as many people as possible before Armageddon strikes. They've believed that the end was here, or the end was right around the corner for since their inception, honestly. They have even made end times predictions and put a year on it. They said in 1925, you know, the end is going to come. In 1914, the end is going to come. In 1975, the end is here. It's going to happen. And they even had a phrase, stay alive to 75. They believed it with everything in them. And of course, lo and behold, the date comes, nothing happens, big surprise. And they had to backtrack and everything else. And they lost a ton of people. And when they lost all those people, they came out and said, well, the Bible says in the end, the greater number will cool off, quote unquote meaning that everybody's going to leave when the end is near. So I tend to believe that they're not stupid enough to make another end times prediction. Uh, I think they've probably learned from their past mistakes, but they are right on top of it. They've even named some key political figures that they believe aren't supposed to basically be named until we're in the Great Tribulation or we're until Armageddon is right there, right around the corner. They named the King of the North as Russia. So in the December JW Broadcasting episode that they released recently, they basically said that they were starting a new letter-writing campaign because they think that the end is here. The end is, like, right around the corner. They keep getting more and more dire, if it's possible, basically trying to bring in as many people as they possibly can before the end actually strikes. And we'll know that they think that the end is actually here, like we are in the Great Tribulation, because they say what's going to happen is the message that they deliver when they knock on your door will switch from one of good news to one of judgment. And that basically means the good news message says that you can still join, you can still come in and still make it through Armageddon alive. 
but the message of judgment means you're fucked. It's over. You have no chance of making it through Armageddon, but we're not going to stop knocking on doors. We're going to continue to knock on doors and tell you how fucked you are. That's what the switch is going to be. Now, I don't think that they're actually going to make that switch anytime soon because you know, you can try to erase things from the history books and say, oh, we never said the end was here in 1975. Uh, other people said the end was here in 1975. But you can't really come back from switching from a message of good news to judgment. That's kind of a, a final nail in the coffin. If they switched from good news to judgment and, and the end really wasn't here, which obviously it wouldn't be because they're full of shit, they're fucked. That's it. There's no coming back from that. So right now, they've started this big letter-writing push, this big letter-writing campaign to try to bring in as many Jehovah's Witnesses as possible while it's still good news. That's probably why you got letters, because of the big push. When we come back, we're going to talk about how the pandemic is affecting church attendance. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the first article I wanted to talk about is entitled Ark Encounter Ticket Sales Continue to Plummet in November Due to COVID-19. And this is on the Friendly Atheist website by Hemant Mehta. But there's actually a deeper issue here that I wanted to talk about. So let's take a look at the new Ark Encounter numbers, and then we'll get into this. Attendance at Ark Encounter remains at rock bottom during the pandemic. It's not their fault, obviously, but the recovery has been slow for them, just like everyone else. Thanks to a public record request by local paleontologist Dan Phelps, we now have the numbers for November. You can read more background about how it's calculated here. The bottom line, Ark Encounter had 24,105 paying visitors in November, but that's a far cry from the 37,686 they had last November. It's also a significant drop from October, a reminder that the busiest part of the tourism season is over. Here are all the attendance numbers we know, along with the safety fee that Answers in Genesis is paid to the city of Williamstown. The public nature of that fee is how we know the attendance numbers at all. So I was looking through this, and it's basically the, it's the 2017 numbers, which I believe is when the Ark Encounter was originally constructed, the 2018 numbers, the 2019 numbers, and the 2020 numbers, right? So according to these numbers... Originally, in 2018, January 2018, they had 13,000 people. 2019, they had 15,000, basically. And then 2020, they had 16,000. So it's a, an increase year over year. A, a, a decent increase, you know? 4 or 5% is a respectable increase. And if you remember correctly, February, I think February 22nd is when the stock market really started to plummet, which is what tells me that's roughly when the public really started taking things seriously with the pandemic, give or take. So mid-February to late February, that's when things really started going downhill and people stopped going out 
people stopped eating at restaurants and, and things like that. March was a complete train wreck. So 2019 in February, Ark Encounter saw 16,000 people. 2020, they saw 17,000 people, a respectable increase for any business, right? In March 2019, they saw 70,000 people. That's basically, from my understanding, that, that's because that's the beginning of the tourism season. They can expect a lot of people to start coming around March. And the following year, 2020, March saw 15,000 people. So it went from 70,000 the previous year to 15,000. Holy shit, that is a serious drop. In April, we saw zero. Let's keep reading the article. Remember that the Ark didn't shut down until March 17th, but it's clear there was lower attendance in the weeks prior to that, too. Their on-site conferences also had to be postponed. Like other tourist attractions, they've missed out on spring break trips, summer vacations, and warmer weather in general. Most workers at the Ark were also temporarily laid off. They finally reopened on June 7th. This issue actually calls back to something else that I've been paying close attention to. Last week, or the week before, recently anyways, I covered another article about this guy named Greg Farrington, this pastor in Rockland, California, who claimed that Satan and liberal crazies were to blame for church closures and low church attendance and things. Bear in mind, before I actually read this, we have no way of knowing if this is actually accurate. I tried to find the statistics for this, and I had a lot of trouble finding any information on it. He could be fabricating this shit right off the top of his head, so who fucking knows? But this is what he said, quote, Here are some current trends in the church world today. 30 to 40% of the people who attended church before COVID will never return to church. 20% of all churches in America will never open their doors again, and 70% of pastors are looking for another place of employment. There's a fact here. The fact is church attendance is dropping. That's true. But at the very least, for the Methodist church, there's like a Methodist general conference, and the general conference pays for the rent for the, for the buildings. They even like own some of the buildings. They pay the pastor's salaries, and they pay for everything, right? Most churches, at, at the very least Methodists, and I know Baptists and Lutherans and Catholics and all kinds of others have a similar system set up, they have set this system up specifically so they can weather storms like this. Like um, the church that Kylie's family goes to, it's a Methodist church, they have a system set up where the pastor gets his paycheck from the Methodist General Conference. They already own the building and everything. So maybe independent churches are, are having an issue here. I, I have no doubt about that. And I do know for a fact that churches are suffering from attendance drops, and we'll get into that more in a minute. But I'm a little bit skeptical of this guy's claims. I mean, we have no way of knowing that this is factual information. Anyway, let's keep reading. Do you know why? It isn't because of a virus. There is a demonic strategy to silence the church. This virus came from China where they silenced the church. And now the silence of a church in America is because there's a demonic force behind it. The reality of this moment is the demonic strategy 
is working. Guy is so full of shit. Like, do I even dissect this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to. I dissected it last week or whenever it was. Uh, it, it, it's terrible. Go look for the video if you're wondering about Greg Farrington. But anyways, he continues on to say, that means 31 million people will never come back to church. That means 80,000 churches will shut their doors and never meet again in that building. That means 420,000 pastors are looking for new jobs. And you're telling me this is a virus? Again, I'm not even going to get into it right now. But the point is, churches are suffering. They are. And the Ark Encounter is suffering. They have been suffering terribly from this pandemic. You, the Ark Encounter is something that you can donate to, but you can't really see it over Zoom. It's not the same thing. It's a very in-person kind of an activity. But another issue that I wanted to mention is the fact that Jehovah's Witnesses lost members this year, for the first year in who knows how long. They had a 0.6% decrease in membership. I think that's fucking awesome. That's fantastic news. And on top of the fact that they had a 0.6% decrease in membership, they had already made it easier to be considered an active member by decreasing the number of hours you have to report to be considered an active Jehovah's Witness. They decreased it from, I don't know, 10 hours a month or something like that. I don't remember what it was before. To 15 minutes per month, from my understanding. So if you write a single letter and mail it to a single person in the phone book, you're an active Jehovah's Witness, period, at any point in the month. And they had a decrease in numbers, despite that fact. That is amazing news, in my opinion. Let's keep reading the article and see what else Hemant Mehta had to say about this. Remember that the Ark didn't shut down until March 17th, but it's clear there was lower attendance in the weeks prior to that, too. Their on-site conferences also had to be postponed. Like other tourist attractions, they've missed out on spring break trips, summer vacations, and warmer weather in general. Most workers at the Ark were also temporarily laid off. They finally reopened on June 7th. That said, the ARC parent company, Crosswater Canyon, received between $1 million and $2 million from the Paycheck Protection Program. Of course they did. And Ken Ham also raised at least $1.1 million in a separate fundraiser to offset COVID-related losses. Finally, keep in mind that actual attendance is higher than these numbers represent because kids get in for free, as do members with lifetime passes. But giving away freebies to children and life members doesn't help the local economy as much as drawing in first-time customers who are ready to spend their money or conference attendees who are there for another reason. I know Ken Ham kind of used this, what, scam, for lack of a better term, where he tried to get Kentucky, where this is, to give him these massive tax breaks because he said he'd be stimulating the local economy and all this other shit. Ultimately, he did almost nothing for the local economy. First of all, he didn't pay almost anything in taxes. He evaded taxes where possible. It was, he used a lot of scummy tactics to build the Ark. And how many people is he really bringing in? How much money are they really spending on the local economy? Seriously. I mean, we have the numbers here, exactly how many people have attended. How many people went to local mom-and-pop shops in the area? I can't imagine it was that many. It's like when Amazon came in and tried to get states to bid on getting them to build their office in their city by offering them the lowest taxes possible. What a scumbag move, right? 
it, there's got to be a certain point at which it's not even worth it for Amazon to put their building in anymore. Like, what are they really going to give back if they're not paying, like, anything in taxes? Honestly, this Paycheck Protection Program thing where Ken Ham got, like, millions and millions of dollars from the PPP loans... At this immediate moment, I could be convinced otherwise, but in my opinion, you shouldn't be given taxpayer money if you're not paying taxes. There are arguments in favor of it. Like, for example, if you're a normal nonprofit, like, for example, my nonprofit that I started, uh, Apostate Refuge, if it started suffering at some point in time, would I be entitled to taxpayer funds to stay afloat and keep helping people with it. I'm not necessarily opposed to people getting taxpayer money like that, but I feel like they should have to prove that they're actually providing some good thing to society. They can't just claim, yeah, we're a church, so by definition, we're providing a good. We're providing a service to society, and, and it's making it better. I just think people should have to prove that they're doing something productive and helpful for, for society to have nonprofit status. Let's take a look at Super Chats. The biggest of Chungai. What breed is your cat, and in your opinion, what's the most interesting cult you've covered, and why? I, well, I have a Siamese. I think he's called an Applehead Siamese. I think that's his official name. And the orange one, I believe she's a Maine Coon. Just full-blown Maine Coon. I find it interesting, though. I saw this on Reddit or something recently. Somebody was like, you ever notice how dog owners are like, yeah, this is a Labradoodle Chihuahua mix. You know, they get like really specific in what type of dog it is. And then cat owners are just like, yeah, my cat is just orange. It is orange breed. <laughs> kind of funny. She's just orange. The biggest of Chungai. Man, that guy makes Kentucky look like an evangelical run nightmare, which in all honesty is kind of true outside of major cities and even in them to a lesser degree. Yeah, that is a good point. Kentucky, I, I live near Kentucky and Kentucky is uh, an evangelical conservative nightmare in many ways. It's run by Mitch McConnell. A lot of underhanded, dirty tactics come from the politicians from Kentucky. And Mitch McConnell is kind of the face of the Republican Party right now, as far as I'm concerned, right? I mean, Trump has his own thing going on, but McConnell represents the old Republican Party, like pre-Trump, in my opinion. April Loveless, thanks for all your awesome content. Well, thank you for coming. I appreciate that, too. That's awesome. I'm glad you're here. Lloydie, thanks for your hard work. Also, XJW here. Welcome! I'm glad you're here. I always love to hear that XJWs are around because I don't know. I just I I, I feel like uh, almost like a kinship, kind of like the kinship that Jehovah's Witnesses felt for Mormons when we were inside. You you know they were so fucking wrong, but you know we both knock on doors, so we kind of understand each other's struggles. When we come back, we're going to talk about Pat Robertson surprisingly calling the election for Biden. So give us thirty seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media. Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com.
So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled, Pat Robertson says Biden will be president. It's time for Trump to move on. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website. So let's give it a read and see what it has to say. If Pat Robertson is a voice of reason, you know we're living in scary times. Today on the 700 Club, Robertson said the election was over, Joe Biden was going to be the next president, and Donald Trump needed to move on. That is a big fucking deal, actually. The fact that Pat Robertson, one of the leaders of the evangelical movement, is now backing Biden. That's a big deal. If you guys remember a while back, Pat Robertson actually freaked out about Trump losing. He had this on-air freak out, and I talked about it on my main channel at the time. But I guess he's kind of come to his senses, taken a breather, calmed down a little bit, and reanalyzed the situation and decided that Trump is doing more damage than it's worth backing. So let's take a look at the, the actual video from Pat Robertson and see what he had to say. I think it's all over. I think the Electoral College has spoken. I think the, the Biden uh, corruption uh, has not totally been brought to, to uh, fruition, but it doesn't seem to be affecting the Electoral College. And I don't think the Supreme Court is going to move in to do anything. And I think uh, we're going to see so Pat Robertson is recognizing and acknowledging now that Trump, all of Trump's options are exhausted. That's it. He doesn't have any more options, basically. This is the end of the line for him. And he outlined them there. He was going to try to go to the Supreme Court. They rejected it. That failed. He was going to, uh, what were the other ones? Um, but it doesn't seem The Electoral College voted for Biden. That's it. It's called. That's the end of the line. Trump has no more recourse at this point. The only recourse Trump has now is to whip people into a blood frenzy and try to get them to overthrow the institutions that, are, that exist right now. That's basically it. And I think Pat Robertson has probably most likely come to that realization that that's Trump's only option and I don't think he's ruled out the possibility that Trump is going to try to take that option. Let's keep listening. To do anything. And I think uh, we're going to see a President Biden. And I also think we'll be seeing a President Kamala Harris not too long after the inauguration of President Biden. Okay, I'm not sure what that has to do with anything, why he even mentioned that. Biden is old, but he's not that much older than anybody else who is in the running. How old is Trump? Isn't he like in his late 70s or something? Biden's like 78. What's the age difference? Let's find out. As old uh, Steve would say from American Dad, no need to wonder. Just loaded up our question gun. Let's go answer hunting. So it says here Biden is 78 years old. He was born November 20th, so he just turned 78. Um, like last month, basically. And Trump is 74 years old. He turned 74 June 14th. So roughly four-year difference, basically, I would say. So the age difference is four years, pretty much. Um, I know that that, is a, that can be a significant age difference once you get into those years, once you're in your 70s. But um, didn't George H.W. Bush live to be like 92 or 95 or something like that? Like, they still have a solid couple of decades in front of them. I mean, think about it. They're both ultra rich. They're both millionaires. You think they're not getting the best medical care on the fucking planet? 
both Biden and Trump are going to live for probably 15, 20 more years at least, I would venture to guess. Maybe 15. I don't know where all of this is coming from that, you know, Biden's on his last leg and it's going to be a Kamala presidency, blah, blah, blah. I think Biden's going to make it through the full four years, and I think he could probably do a, another four after that, honestly. He is not that old, and he has the best medical care on the planet. Let's keep listening. With all his talent and the ability of, to raise money and draw large crowds, the president still lives in an alternate reality. He really does. People say, well, he lies about this, that, and the other, but no, he isn't lying. To him, that's the truth. He had the biggest crowd on Inauguration Day. He had, the, he had more people than ever. Uh, he was the most popular uh, people. Uh, he saved NBC, but with The Apprentice. You, know, you go down the line of things that really aren't true. Fucking fascinating, dude. You hearing this guy? Listen to this shit. He's acknowledging that Trump lied about his inauguration size. He's acknowledging that he lied about how important to how big of an impact The Apprentice had on NBC. He's lying about all this stuff, but he's pointing out that he doesn't think that Trump is really lying. But like I said earlier, the best liars believe their own lies. He thinks he really believes this shit. He thinks that Trump lives in his own alternate reality. And to some degree, I think he's right. But I think Trump knows exactly what he's doing. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I, I'm not going to grant him the idea that he's doing this innocently and that he's just delusional. I don't believe that Trump is delusional. Ultimately, who fucking knows? Nobody knows. It's like the question, is the Jehovah's Witnesses governing body? Do they know what they're doing? Are they doing it intentionally? Are they scam artists? And are they controlling people? knowing full well that they're lying. Some old apostates who were actually on the governing body for many years, like Ray Franz, for example, he was asked that question, and his answer was, maybe one or two of the people at the very top know it's a scam and are doing it intentionally, but by and large, the governing body believes their own lies. I think I tend to agree with Pat that Trump does believe his own lies, but Trump goes into some things intentionally trying to control the narrative and scam people. So that's a little bit different. Like anytime the media starts coming at Trump over something that's genuinely bad, like calling the military in to U.S. cities with bayonets. Remember when he did that? Trump came up with some stupid fucking culture war thing. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was... The bathroom bill, you know, trans bathroom bill. Like, what a petty fucking thing to fight over. Just let people use whatever bathroom they want to use. But for some reason, society is hung up on this, and Trump is making it as, as bad as he possibly can to detract from his scandals, to detract from the fact that he called the military in to U.S. cities with bayonets. So I see intentionality coming from Trump like that. By and large, I, I wouldn't be opposed to the idea that maybe he is just delusional. But I, I think in this one specific case, it goes a little bit beyond delusion. I think he knows what he's doing for the most part. Let's keep listening. And, you know, people kept pointing to them. 
But because they loved him so much and he was so strong for the evangelicals, the evangelicals were with him all the way. But there was something about him that was good, that God placed him in that uh, office for the time. He's done a marvelous job for the economy. Okay, look, I keep hearing this shit that Trump is doing a marvelous job for the economy. I'm sick of this, so let me just address it real quick. Trump does not do a marvelous job for the economy, okay? The nature of the stock market is such that it will continue to go up no matter what. The stock market will keep going up and getting more points because the stock market is measured by something called index stocks. Uh, the Dow Jones or the NASDAQ are examples of industry indexes or something like that. Basically, the Dow Jones takes the stock price of Netflix and Tesla and GM and Facebook and Twitter and just a bunch of major industries in the United States, right? And they add all of that up to get a total of 30,000 points, right? If a company is failing, or if a company just straight up goes under, if they just disappear because their stock plummets and it's worthless and they close their doors, what happens to that number? They're removed from the index. By its nature, the Dow Jones Industrial Average will continue to get higher. It will continue to go up, even if indexes go under. It doesn't matter. That number will keep going up no matter what. Now, we can look at the stock market as a good indication of investor confidence in the economy. But it doesn't represent the economy itself. It represents how good the index stocks are doing, how well the index stocks are doing. That's what it represents. If an index stock like Netflix closes up shop, ends business, and goes bankrupt, they're just removed from it. They're no longer being factored in. It's that simple. Obviously, the stock market is going to continue to go up. It is not a reflection of the economy as a whole. There is no index stock in there to represent the 8 million people who are about to be homeless, who are being kicked off of unemployment, who don't have a job anymore. There's no stock to represent them. The economy is not represented by the stock market, and that should be clearer than ever now. So the question that Pat raised is, did Trump actually help the economy? And the answer is no. The economy is objectively, without question, in a worse place right now than it was four years ago. Even though the Dow Jones Industrial Average has more points on it right now than it did four years ago, it's irrelevant. It does not represent the economy in any way. The only thing it represents is investor confidence. That's, that's basically it. Anyway, let's keep listening. But at the same time, uh, he is very erratic and he, uh, he's fired people and he's fought people and he's insulted people and it keeps going down the line. So it's, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. I love it. That's, a, uh, that's an amicable way to say it, right? It's a mixed bag with Trump. No, it's a shit bag. That's it. There is no mixed bag about it. Donald Trump hasn't been good for the economy. 
And, you, you know, you could argue that maybe this wasn't entirely Trump's fault. And I, I can get on board with you. You know, he didn't infect people with the virus directly. He didn't bring the virus over here from, from China. But he didn't do shit when we needed him to, to stop it. He didn't encourage mask usage. He discouraged mask usage. Why would you do that? You fucking idiot. Why? Why would you do that? Trump is making things actively worse for people by doing shit like that. It wasn't Trump's fault that the virus got in the U.S., okay? He, it, it got in everywhere. It got in France, got in Germany, got in Canada, got everywhere. Can't blame him for that one. That one is not on him. Literally everything else that he fucked up from then on, that's his fault. That's on him. Let's keep listening. It's, it's a mixed bag, and I think it, it would be well to say uh, you've had your day, and uh, it's time to move on. Fascinating. I, I'm honestly very, very surprised that Pat Robertson had that to say. Trump needs the evangelical support. He needs evangelicals to stand behind him more now than ever. Because if he doesn't have people standing behind him saying it, it wasn't his fault or he didn't do anything wrong or whatever, then he's going to go down in history as a, a monster, as the monster that he is. He should be trying desperately to retain what shred of a legacy he'll have left by getting his cult members to retroactively alter history for him. So the fact that Pat is not standing behind him, that's very fascinating to me. And it's just more evidence that Trump is fucked. Anyway, let's keep reading. This is Hemet Mehta speaking. Somewhere in that word salad are some hard truths for evangelicals to swallow. For what it's worth, Trump ruined the economy and there was nothing about him that was good. His time in office was only a mixed bag if bigotry, racism, cruelty, and ignorance were things you were willing to tolerate in exchange for cash and judges, I guess, which many white evangelicals were perfectly fine with. It's a good point. Couldn't have said it better myself. Good point, Hemant Mehta. Anyway, this is all even more amusing coming from Robertson, given that as recently as a month ago, after the election was over, he was saying he still believed Trump would win. We will not give up this great country and Satan, you cannot have it. I guess Satan won. I know, Pat Robertson had a full-blown meltdown on air. It was glorious. It was glorious. If you're wondering what it looked like, I made a video about it. Go check it out. So just like when Pat Robertson mocks young earth creationists or calls for the decriminalization of pot, enjoy this moment of common sense from an unlikely source. It doesn't happen very often. That's very true. Pat Robertson has his occasional moment of clarity mixed in with hatred for LGBT people, hatred for anybody who's not a God-fearing Christian. He's just a very hateful person, ultimately. This is just one more... I mean, this guy never ceases to amaze me. This is just one more surprise from Pat to me. So thank you, Pat. Let's take a look at Super Chats. Pasty Cake. I love the idea of your organization. I wonder, though, if your organization is successful. I wonder how they'll demonize your organization. Oh, I'm sure there's always somebody out there trying to tear people down and, you know, shred them and, and attack them. I mean, there are people out there that fucking hate me, you know? 
There are like Telltale hate Discord servers. I don't know where they are, or who started them, or why, or whatever, but they're out there, I'm sure. I don't worry about that too much. I'm just gonna do my best and not worry about the rest. The biggest of Chungai. I always found Santa terrifying. It's an eldritch, immortal entity that breaks into your home and eats your food and morally judges your actions. That's true. Were you religious? Um, the biggest of Chungai, you can just at me in the chat if you want, just at Telltale Podcast and tell me if you were religious. I don't remember. I think you and I have talked about it before, but refresh my memory on that. I don't think I was afraid of Santa at any point because I don't think I really, I, I never believed in Santa, so it didn't really scare me. I just feel like I really missed out on a lot since I was little and... This is the first time I've gotten, like, real presents from people. You know, I've gotten a couple here and there, one or two. I've gotten, you know, little presents from Kylie and stuff, but I had, like, a bunch of presents under the tree this time. It's the first time ever, pretty much. Anyway, thanks for the super chat. I appreciate it. And it practices slavery and knows your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, somebody was pointing out how funny it is that on the bottom of every present that comes from Santa is stamped made in China. Kind of an interesting point that I hadn't really considered before. Rune Norderhaug. I hope I uh, pronounced that correctly. You would think Satan would have better cryptography skills than Mad Magazine two-letter shift of Santa to Satan. You would think. But, you know, Christians are always saying Santa leaves his mark on everything. You can always see. And that's what, that's the justification they use to claim that, you know, just go into conspiracy land. That's the justification they use to go into conspiracy land pretty fucking hard. Lisa for Truth, what do you think of the governing body doubling down on kids watching horrible videos at conventions? Really interesting question. Um, let me give a little bit of lead up to that. Jehovah's Witnesses, I guess, they put out the bunker videos. I actually talk about this in my video coming out next week, next Sunday, but Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, when they put out the bunker videos, they got in a ton of shit. They got so many letters, like outraged letters from parents saying how terrible it is that the governing body would put out videos so graphic, and they're really not even that fucking graphic, of people hiding in bunkers and, and you know, dead bodies and stuff like that. Honestly, it's, it is, it's probably not even PG-13 rated. I would guess it's probably still PG. Um, but, you know, I can understand why it would scare somebody because the context behind the pictures or, or the videos is that this is what's going to happen to you if you don't obey us and follow our instructions and stuff like that. So it's more the context behind the clips than the clips themselves. The question was, what do I think of them doubling down on, on all of that, on refusing to cede to the demands that they ease up a little bit and make it a little bit less graphic. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Honestly, it'd surprise me if the governing body didn't double down on it. They are obsessed with the fact that Armageddon will be here any day and they want to prepare everybody. Now, if it gets much worse than this, they may possibly have some lawsuits on their hands over, you know, showing kids graphic stuff or, or trying to force the kids to watch graphic stuff. I 
I don't know. But I think they will keep it the same level of gore. I don't think they're going to go more gory than this. We'll see what happens. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see. Eve Bunny, buy yourself a coffee for helping me escape purity culture and bisexual erasure. I appreciate you, man. God damn, that could not have been fun. Well, I'm glad you got your way out because that shit is fucking toxic. And thank you so much. I appreciate it. I will buy myself coffee. I'm a huge coffee fan. Uh, let's see. The biggest of Chungai. Yeah, I was religious. Hope you enjoyed your gifts. I did enjoy my gifts. I enjoyed them a great deal, in fact. Um, is it the doctor? I think it's the doctor in here. The doctor got me something. That was pretty awesome. I have it over on my shelf. I've been meaning to play it a little bit more, but that was pretty cool. Lots of cool gifts, actually. When we come back, we're going to talk about Pastor John MacArthur spreading propaganda about the pandemic. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled, There Are More COVID Cases at COVID-Denying Pastor John MacArthur's Church. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website, so let's give the article a read and see what it has to say. For months now, we've been talking about the COVID denial of Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church in California. This is a person who openly celebrated the lack of social distancing and face masks in his congregation, once telling a packed house, the good news is that you're here, you're not distancing, and you're not wearing masks. In August, he falsely claimed there is no pandemic. I actually went in search of these clips because I wanted to pull them up, which I do intend to watch one of them, but the one where he said that there was no pandemic, that's been taken down by YouTube, surprisingly. Rightfully so, honestly. I think it was a good idea for YouTube to take it down. They shouldn't leave that shit up. That's misinformation, and he's in a position of authority as a pastor and shouldn't be saying stupid shit that's not true. So, anyways, this is a clip from where he openly celebrated the lack of social distancing. Let me expand on it and tell you what happened here. He basically got an order from the city that he needed to do certain specific things. For example, he needed to have somebody, one of his like ministerial servants or deacons or whatever the hell they call him, needed to have one of those people outside with a head thermometer, like one of these right here, and put it up to everybody's head that wants to come into the church, Hit the button and scan people. Make sure nobody has a fever when they walk into the church. He refused. What is that? What, what's it cost? $50 for the piece of equipment max and the time of one deacon? He couldn't do something that fucking simple? Another request from the city is for everybody to wear face masks while they're inside. Simple request. What's so fucking hard about that, right? Barring that, if he didn't want to do that, he could alternatively hold service outside with 200 people instead of 1,000. Didn't want to do that either. Wanted to have all 1,000 people or 2,000 people inside with no masks. That's what he wanted, and that's what he did. So this is the service that he held after being told by the city to do those basic things and refusing. Let's watch it. We're having church. 
it's um, it's actually hard to figure out exactly what the uh, city is trying to do. No, it was perfectly fucking clear. They gave you a checklist. There was no ambiguity to this. This guy's a monster. Uh, with us and to us, but we know they don't want us to do exactly what we're doing. That's exactly right. They don't want you to be a fucking idiot and risk people's lives. And guess what happened? Guess what happened as a result of this? People got sick. Let's keep watching. We'll get to that. Right now. And we're, we're not meeting. We're not meeting because we want to be rebellious. We're meeting because our Lord has commanded us. If he wasn't meeting to be rebellious, but was only solely meeting because the Lord commanded him to, and he was setting out to not be rebellious, he would have followed basic fucking guidelines. Basic guidelines. Just get, just get one of these things out there. That's all he had to do. Scan people's temperatures before they walk in. That is it. If he didn't want to be rebellious, if he just wanted to meet, he could have gotten one of these. He wanted to be rebellious. Don't let him pull one over on you. Together and worship him. There was a court order that um, granted this church and this church alone the right to meet indoors, and the powers of the city were not happy about that. I wonder why. Why weren't they happy, do you think? Do you think it's because maybe you're going to get people killed? This video came out a few months ago when all of this was at its peak and people were really struggling. And guess what? He got people killed. That's exactly what happened. We have the benefit of hindsight now. And we know for a fact that people got sick and died because of what he did at this meeting. They were going to be asking us to do two things, uh, social distance and wear masks. Um, that was until yesterday when the city, we agreed, look, we'll, we'll comply for a few weeks. They asked that for three weeks. We're not wanting to be defiant. We, we will do what is reasonable. We'll do what's reasonable. What's reasonable is getting one of these things right here and having everybody wear masks. That's fucking reasonable. Nothing unreasonable about that, right? He refused to do even those two basic steps. That was not enough for the city, so they went to the appellate court at the last minute on Saturday late and had that order removed. So the good news is you're here, you're not distancing, and you're not wearing masks. Why is that good news? I don't understand. What's good news about that? Why is he reveling in the fact that he's getting people sick actively right now? This service that we're seeing right here, this got people sick. I don't understand why he's happy about that. This is fucking mind-blowing to me. Anyway, let's keep reading the original article here. This is back to Hemant Mehta. And then in October, there was an outbreak at his church. The L.A. County Department of Public Health confirmed three cases had been traced back to the ministry. That number soon grew to five. MacArthur denied the seriousness of this, basically writing off a small handful of positive tests in a congregation of thousands. That's literally exactly what happened in the United States. People wrote off a few cases in a country of millions. And look at the case growth now. He can't be this stupid, can he? Is he really this stupid? 
By mid-November, whatever temporary restrictions the church had instituted were gone. We're now finding out that the COVID cover-up at his church goes far deeper than MacArthur would ever let on. Reporter Julie Roy spoke with a church leader who asked to remain anonymous, but whose identity she confirmed, who said there are staffers with COVID, professors at MacArthur's school who have COVID, members of the church's Filipino ministry who have COVID, including one person who's in the hospital, holy shit, and all of that is separate from another allegedly well-connected person who posted on Medium about the COVID denial at the church. This is a quote from the Medium website. Two weeks ago, the Grace Staff Christmas Party Lunch was served and maskless elderly and elders sat shoulder to shoulder, hugged and shook hands, and along with the filet mignon were spoon-fed the following from John MacArthur. One, COVID PCR tests are inaccurate and should not be trusted. We'll get to the rest in a second. I just want to mention the PCR test. PCR stands for polymerase chain reaction. It says here, polymerase chain reaction is a method widely used to rapidly make millions to billions of copies of a specific DNA sample, allowing scientists to take very small sample of DNA and amplify it to a large enough amount to study in detail. So basically the idea behind the PCR test, they have the DNA in there and they compare it to, they compare it to what's coming out of your nose. Like they stick the swab up your nose and test it and compare it to the DNA that they have on file, pretty much. The PCR tests are 100% accurate if it's positive. It's exactly like a pregnancy test. If the pregnancy test detects the hormone, I think it is, in your system, then you're pregnant, period. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There are no false positives with pregnancy tests or with this COVID PCR test. There are false negatives, though. What he said here, COVID PCR tests are inaccurate and should not be trusted. They should be trusted if they're positive, but there's no guarantee that you don't have it if it says it's negative. It may have just not detected it. Maybe it wasn't enough yet to detect. This is just another unique way of framing it to instill a level of distrust in the tests. It's bullshit. It's propagandistic bullshit. Number two, don't take the vaccine as it's just a money ploy. Number three, Grace is welcoming 400 new members, i.e. don't scare them. Let them think that everything is fine. Number four, the giving is the best it's ever been. And ultimately, that's all that really matters, isn't it? it all that really matters is that people are putting money in that fucking collection plate. This is really the, the core of the message, isn't it? Money is what matters, and the fact that we're getting it right now. That's what matters. That's what he cares about. Downplay it. Pretend nothing's going on. Pretend everything is fine as long as we're still filling those fucking collection plates. And number five, there are no long-term side effects to COVID. That is factually wrong. In fact, one of my favorite singers from one of my favorite bands, Maynard James Keenan from Tool, he actually got COVID in um, February, I think. He did an interview about it recently. And he says he still has coughing fits, like, to this day. There are long-term side effects to this, period. You can pretend there aren't. You can deny it. That's just what it is. Number four is the most telling one. The giving is the best it's ever been. But what blows my fucking mind about the whole thing, really, is number two. Don't take the vaccine as it's just a money ploy. Why would he do that? 
If there is a way to make this situation better, to alleviate pain and suffering, to make his congregation safer, to make his flock safer, why isn't he doing it? Is it because he doesn't want to look like a fool? What is it? Let's keep reading the article. This is Hemant Mehta speaking. That same person noted that seven people at the party have since tested positive for COVID. Obviously, that hasn't been confirmed. Royce also points out that a number of Facebook posts, including some in private groups associated with MacArthur's church, have talked about COVID cases among church members. Maybe the most frightening thing about this Christian death cult is this passage. Quote, I spoke with multiple members of Grace Community Church this week who said they were scared of speaking out about the outbreak for fear of retribution. Some said they feared losing their jobs. Others said they feared being ostracized and losing their community. Big surprise. Something that you tend to find in cults is shunning. That's one of the hallmarks of a cult. The fact that they're afraid of being shunned is very telling. This is Hemant Mehta. I've said this before, but it's worth asking again. How many people have to die before the leaders of this church take COVID seriously? What's the body count? How many positive tests do they need to see before they just move things online for the safety of all their members? I don't think the safety of the members matters, honestly. I wondered this, though. Like, Say the death count was 90%. Say that was the mortality rate. Would they care then? Would they move online then? He's got to fear for his own life in this, right? He's older. Look at him. He's an older guy. Does he separate himself from the congregation so he knows he's not going to catch it from him? Like Trump going to his rallies and not getting anywhere near any of the participants? Does he not care about the well-being of the other people at all, even if it was a 90% mortality rate? I bet he doesn't. I would be willing to bet. Back to Hemant Mehta. Or will they continue denying what experts figured out a long time ago, even if it leads to more suffering for their own members? This is a church that has every ability to move online if it wants to. The production quality would be high, and the sermons could be seen by anyone who wants to watch. But moving online would mean, would mean admitting epidemiologists and other scientists were right about the virus, and these Christians are way too stubborn to admit scientists have a better grasp on reality than the Bible. MacArthur has also made it clear he doesn't give a damn about anyone's health. He wants to meet in person, he wants the collection plate to be passed around, and he wants to live in a fantasy world where the 300,000-plus Americans who've died from it so far are all involved in some kind of liberal hoax. Unfortunately, there are thousands of gullible Christians who would rather listen to him than the people who actually know what they're talking about. MacArthur won't suffer. He has money. They don't. When will they realize no one at this church cares about them? Honestly, I don't think they will ever realize that. Something tells me that these people are ready to buckle in for the long haul. They're going to ride this out for better or worse. But I do wonder, some of the people from his church or, or from other churches, some of the people from Tony Spell's church, Life Tabernacle, you remember that one? or Kenneth Copeland's church, or any others. I wonder what they're thinking while they lay on their deathbeds. I wonder if they're thinking to themselves, I made a mistake trusting these people. 
Let's take a look at Super Chats. Tyler Cross, welcome. Hope you have a wonderful holiday. I'd tell you to ignore Zolfner, but he pays you so much, Lamau. <laughs> I'm starting a reading of The Conquest of Bread. Interesting, I don't know of The Conquest of Bread. Yeah, Zolfner can pay me if he wants. If he starts spouting propaganda, I'll ignore it, but I'll, I will read it if it's honest disagreement. Zolfner, I was actually the first to defend Sleepy Owen right now. Also, Owen, heck you read that book. Thank you for always putting out amazing and informative content. Spooky girl. Thank you for coming coming and listening. You don't have to come and listen. It's pretty awesome to have you here. Noxum Vulpenhair. Do you think the reason for JW's having a net loss is because they spend too much time spying and touting on each other? That's Irish for tattling. I did not know that word. I was like, did I pronounce that correctly? Do I think that that's the reason? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the reason is because they have because the brainwashing is getting unplugged. Honestly, I believe that's what it is. People aren't going to the meetings physically because they have closed down the Kingdom Halls. Everything is through Zoom right now. And I think that's the reason why people are leaving because they're not going to the meetings anymore. They, they just don't tune in. It's just easier to sleep in on a Sunday. They don't have to get dressed up or any of that other shit. So I, I really believe that they're not, that they're losing members because, you know, they're doing everything through Zoom and people just don't feel motivated to get up for the meetings anymore. And suddenly they, they don't have this influx of constant programming coming in and they wake up sometimes. So that's my read on it. Therian 13. I hope you, Rose and Alpha Force Zero, have a great New Year's. Be safe. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you. And I hope you have a good New Year's too. The biggest of Chungai. Cue the Rick and Morty scene. God is a lie. We made him up for money. Right? M. Tiffany. If the vaccine is real and works, then science is real and works. And that's a direct challenge to religious authority. That's true. That is a good point. Um, I think that honestly, like John MacArthur's reason for telling people not to take the vaccine is because he doesn't want to look like the fool that he is. He's just spent the past eight or 10 months telling people that this, there's nothing to worry about. There's no reason to worry. Just keep coming to church, keep putting money in the plate, all that other shit. And backtracking on that to get them to do something that's safer than what they're doing now would show weakness. I think it's a narcissism thing. Fucking wrong, dude. Seriously, it's wrong. Zolfner. Heck, Owen. Long live Daddy Biden. What a bizarre thing to say about Biden. Thank you for the super chat. Can you have Rose make a guest appearance? Yeah, we can do that one of these days. Um, maybe next podcast, or maybe I'll have her on my main channel. Who knows? We'll see. Alexandre Watt. The most hilarious part of Trump disregarding the dangers of the Rona is his disregard is killing off his own voter base. I know. More like the most ironic part. I think that would be the correct term, ironic. Um, it's pretty fucking sad, man. I wish that Trump wasn't such an incompetent fucking fool because I don't want to see anybody die even nutcase extremists but I don't know they brought it on themselves sadly you know what can you do Flan Michelle Purse thank you for the the super chat the biggest of Chungai those are some chonkers behind you Owen they are they're giga chonkers heckin giga chonkers back there maybe even Terra chonks I appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen and I will talk to you next week 
If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel, where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.